Ontario heads to the polls on June 7th. The province has seen 15 years of the Liberals in power, and many recent polls have the grits trailing badly. While the numbers don't add up for them now, in previous elections, they have come from behind to win a majority. But the sands seem to be shifting. The Ontario PCs were thrust into a brief leadership campaign after Patrick Brown resigned following allegations made by two women. None of those allegations have been proven in court. Welcome to the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand. In order to give you some knowledge about each party's platform, we'll be interviewing each of the party leaders to give you some more perspective on what each is offering you for your vote. We begin with Mike Schreiner. He is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario, and he joins us for the podcast. How are you, Mike? I'm fantastic, Ed, and a pleasure to join you, and it's a beautiful day in Ottawa today. That it is, that it is. This is going to be your third election as party leader. That's right. What have you learned from the previous two that you hope to apply now? Well, I think what the Green Party really has done is we've built up a base and a foundation to elect our first Green MPPs in Ontario. And what people tell me, and I'm on a 2,500-kilometer uh, 20 cities in nine day tour right now called the Green Vision Tour. And what people in communities across Ontario are telling me is they are tired of the Liberals. They It's an establishment party that has proven it can't govern the province. And they don't trust the new conservative leadership and look like they feel like we have a, another establishment party that's shown they can't even govern themselves, let alone the province. And the NDP seems to be missing an action. And so people are looking for something different. And the only way we're going to change the status quo at Queen's Park is to elect a new party with a new vision and a new way of doing politics. And Greens across the country are delivering on that. All right. As a new way of doing politics, how do you do politics differently? Let me give you one concrete example, and that's with the whole controversy around the minimum wage. You know, you have the premier right now uh, pitting workers against family business owners, and you have the new conservative leader saying that, you know, workers don't deserve above poverty level wages. And I don't think you should use people's lives and livelihoods as a political wedge issue. That's doing politics the old way. Doing politics the new way is saying, hey, let's raise the minimum wage so nobody's working full-time in poverty, and let's lower payroll taxes on small local family-owned businesses, providing them with immediate cash flow relief so they can afford to hire more workers and pay those workers a better wage. That's doing politics differently because it's finding the solution that puts people first. All right. Now, jobs in the economy are what we wanted to get into, and you, you led us right into it. Liberals have boosted the minimum wage. Another bump is expected next year to 15. You support a living wage and a basic income guarantee. Now, you're still in favor of the increase for next year? Absolutely, provided that the government brings in immediate cash flow relief for local businesses by lowering their payroll taxes. Um, and that way, you know, providing workers with a higher income and supporting local businesses to create more jobs is going to benefit everyone because it's going to pump more money into our local economy. Studies show that lower income workers have a bit more money in their pocket. They're going to spend it in a local economy, supporting local job creation, local businesses. Local businesses are more likely to hire local accountants and local advertising firms support other local businesses, and that increases uh, the benefits in the local economy for everyone, which then produces more tax revenue for municipalities to invest in livable cities and start covering off the municipal infrastructure debt. But you take the payroll taxes out of the equation. How do you replace that? Yeah, so we're calling for a 1% increase on the biggest corporations in Ontario, uh, and that would be enough to cover off the support for local businesses. And so, you know, we believe in tax fairness for local businesses, 
studies have also shown that, you know, as the liberals have brought down uh, corporate tax rates on the biggest Bay Street corporations, they haven't been reinvesting that money into the economy, creating additional jobs. We think supporting fair taxes for local businesses, small businesses, family-run businesses, that will inject money into the local economy and facilitate job creation. Now, you've been out banging on doors. I'm wondering when you're going to these small businesses, are they complaining to you about the, the increase in minimum wage? Absolutely. But I've yet to walk into a small business who hasn't signed my petition calling on the government to lower their payroll taxes by increasing the employer health tax exemption. So they all support it. And, and you know, I'm as a small business owner myself, longtime small business owner myself, every small business I know wants to pay their workers a living wage because they recognize less turnover, more stability. Mm-hmm. Those workers can, can, you know, purchase and contribute more and participate in the local economy. But they need a fair deal from government. And right now in Ontario, we have two parties of big business and one party of no business. We need a party that's going to stand up for local businesses. That's the Green Party of Ontario. All right. Now, we'll continue with the economy. And and on the platform, you talk about investment in clean tech jobs as they they pay better. You've got more growth. What are the burgeoning clean tech industries in Ontario that this province could become a leader? Well, I think we should definitely be a global leader in the 21st century economy. And I'm arguing we need to leap into the 21st century now. I believe in the Wayne Gretzky approach to economics. You always skate where the puck is going, not where it's been or where it is right now. That's exactly what the Green Party is calling for. I look at provinces in Germany as an example. Um, The most conservative province in Germany, the heart of the auto sector in Germany, is now led by a green premier because green policies – have helped that province transition into the clean economy, maintain a very strong manufacturing base, and um, generate good good middle-class green jobs. Very similar to Ontario's situation, but in Ontario, we haven't been supporting the manufacturing base, and we've lost 300,000 jobs. And bringing them back isn't going to happen with back-of-the-napkin policy proposals like the conservative leader is proposing or benefiting uh, existing corporations like the liberals do, we need to invest in innovation and entrepreneurship. I'll give you a really concrete example of that. I was just in Sarnia recently in the heart of Chemical Valley. Yeah, no kidding. And at the Western Research Institute where entrepreneurs are developing products, um, instead of using fossil fuels to do it, they're using bioproducts to do it. And the added benefit of that is, is they're sourcing those bioproducts from local farmers and from the forestry industry. So you get a double whammy. You get an opportunity for Ontario to develop 21st century clean economy manufacturing jobs, and they're sourcing the raw materials from local farmers and people in the forestry industry so we don't have to import fossil fuels from you know other provinces or other countries. Win, win, win for Ontario. That's how we're going to create the jobs of the 21st century. That's how we're going to create a green middle class right now. Do you know, Ed, right now in, in Canada... 274,000 people work in the clean energy sector. Their average salary is $92,000 a year. Those are good middle-class jobs that Greens want to create. Mike Schreiner is uh, joining us on the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa, our podcast, as we talk to each leader, provincial leader, uh, ahead of the upcoming uh, provincial election. Now, you know, when we talked about Ontario wanted to be a bit of a green leader, we saw this with the Liberals, right? With their green energy, we're yeah. going to be the. I hope we you know, can talk about that. Yeah, well, we can talk about that. <laughs> that, that was the. That was the, the, the. I guess the intent. It didn't obviously arrive That's there. Right. How, how do you see it? Obviously, your intent intent 
and your follow through to get it to that point. Yeah, you know, typical liberals, quite frankly, they take, you know, good ideas from parties like the Green Party and then totally screw them up by the way they implement them. And, you know, the problem is, is they always put their corporate insider friends before people. And the way they rolled out the Green Energy Act is exactly like that. They put corporate power before community power. If you look at how green energy has been rolled out in countries around the world, I look at Denmark and Germany in particular, uh, Denmark requires 20% local ownership on renewable energy projects. Half of renewable energy projects in Germany are owned by local German citizens. We could have done it that way in Ontario, creating local jobs, local business owners, supporting local entrepreneurs, having the economic benefits flow to local communities. Instead, the Liberals signed all the wind contracts with big multinational corporations who, by the way, donated to the Liberal Party. Cap and trade, carbon pricing. Which is more effective from your perspective at reducing greenhouse gases? Well, you know what? The liberal cap and shade program is just, unfortunately, another example, taking a great idea around pricing carbon pollution and doing it in a way that benefits their corporate friends. So the 150 largest polluters in Ontario get a free ride. They're free to pollute. Don't have to pay the, the cap and trade price. The Green Party has a completely different approach. It's a more market-based approach. It's a small government approach. Uh, it's about putting a price on carbon pollution and ramping that price up quickly so the market can work properly and then returning it to every citizen as a dividend check. So you have more money in your pocket. So we help mitigate the um, challenges of transitioning to the low carbon economy, particularly for modest and middle income um, people. And then they can use that dividend check to figure out ways to, um, you know, lower the carbon footprint in ways that work best for them. So maybe it's retrofitting your home so you can save energy by saving money, or maybe it's buying a bike, maybe it's buying an electric vehicle, maybe it's getting a transit pass, um, you know, maybe it's investing in a new business that cap that takes advantage of the transition to the low carbon economy. But it provides you with the opportunity to decide um, the best way for you to be successful in the transition to a low carbon economy. You know, obviously, this is a controversial issue. We've heard, uh, you know, obviously the liberal side, the conservative side, the NDP, and their their view as well. And you know, when when you talk about putting a price on carbon with the revenue going back to the taxpayers, does that counter all the complaints about it being a job killer? Absolutely, counters all those complaints. You know what? The bottom line: climate change right now is a tax on everyone. It's sort of nature's tax on everyone, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I watch the evening news and I see the droughts and the floods and the ice storms and the severe weather events. um, And I just think of how it's destroying our economy, people's lives, communities. I talked to the Insurance Bureau of Canada just a few weeks ago. I met with the leaders and they are completely stressed out. I mean, Mm -hmm. last year alone, insurable losses in Canada, $4.9 billion due to extreme weather events caused by climate change, it's only going to get worse. They don't even know, as the experts in actuarial models, they don't even know how to predict the future now because of what's happening with climate change. So to have somebody like the new conservative leader just say, ignore it, we don't have to do anything about it, you know, somehow we're going to magically solve this problem, or to do it how the liberals and NDP want to do it with a complex bureaucratic system that's subject to gaming in the same way that what's happened with the liberals, 150 largest polluters being exempted from it. The Green Party's coming up with a plan that's efficient, effective, and 
protects people with modest and middle incomes to make it fair. And that's what carbon fee and dividend is all about. All right. Now, in in terms of that, uh, the focus Green Party will be on the sectors of transportation, buildings and industry. That's How right. do you see them to be impacted by your plants? Yeah. So, you know, the three largest sources of greenhouse gas pollution in Ontario are transportation, buildings and industry in that order. So, first of all, when it comes to transportation, uh, investing in public transit and being honest with people about how to pay for it. You know, in the last election, I'll never forget, I was knocking on tours in Guelph and where I'm from. And I knocked on this gentleman's door and I said, you know, I'm all, I'm for all day two way go service between Guelph, Toronto and KW. And, you know, I can say the same thing here in Ottawa mm-hmm. with regional transit, LRT, et cetera. In this case, I was in Guelph. And uh, he, he said, how would he said, oh, well, all the parties are calling for investments in transit. What makes you different than everyone else? I'm like, I'll be honest with you and tell you how I'm going to pay for it. The others think magic money and fairy dust is going to build transit. It's not. Or they'll do what the liberals are doing and debt finance it all and sell off Hydro One through the privatization scheme that's going to be a financial disaster for Ontario. I'm not going to do any of that. We we were saying, let's do what the experts are telling us to do. The economists, the business leaders, the experts are saying congestion charges to drive into Toronto, a commercial parking levy within the GTA and land value taxation around transit sites to capture that extra value in property from from the build-out of the public transit. That would raise the money we need to invest in transit. And the gentleman said to me, he's like, oh, I would never vote for you. You're going to charge me to drive to the Leafs game? And I know Sins fans would probably say, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you should get charged to go to a Leafs game. You know, but uh, for Leafs fans, that's yeah. a pretty tough yeah. issue, eh? It is. And I said to him, I said, you know, I understand why you'd be opposed to that. But I hope you respect me for being honest with you, because if we don't start electing honest politicians, we'll never have honest politics. And the guy said to me, he's like, you know what? I respect you, buddy, but you're not getting my vote. Have a nice day. It was a cul-de-sac. I knocked Mm -hmm. on all the doors and I was getting ready to to leave. And the gentleman was on his porch. He said, hey, green guy, come back here. I was like, oh, great. How much abuse can one guy take in one day? Eh? It's politics. Yeah, it's politics. Right. I figured, okay, I got to go back there. I got to respect him. He's a voter. You know, whether he votes for me or not, I represent him. I want to be his voice at Queens Park. So I walk over and he says, you know what? I want to sign and I'm voting for you. And I was a bit shocked. And I said, well, why? What made you change your mind? And he's like, oh, I still don't like your policy. I don't want to be charged to go to the Leafs game. But he said, you know what? I listened to you and and I realized that, you know what, you had the courage to stand here on my porch, tell me what you stood for and how you would pay for it. And none of the other politicians are doing that. And you're right. If we don't have people be honest, if if we don't vote for honest politicians, we're never going to have honest politics. And so people may not like our funding mechanism, but at least we have one. The bottom line is no one can say they were surprised. You were honest and open about it right from the beginning. Absolutely. Mike Schreiner is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe podcast as uh, we are talking about the Green Party and its election platform heading into the Ontario election coming up on June 7th. And we will be talking to each of the party leaders to give you uh, more information on how to be informed when it comes to casting your ballot. Now, uh, you did bring up hydro, so (laughs) (laughs) and we have been seeing uh, rates increase in the province. Absolutely. Sold a stake of the utility, and it's expected the province is going to lose one point eight billion in revenue. And we mm-hmm. hear, you know, that it contributes to taxpayers, but we've heard more about it being mismanaged than we hear about getting the dividends uh, mm-hmm. about that. Uh, the NDP is saying it would reverse the sell-off. You know, I don't know if you, how you do that unless you're going to buy out whoever bought it in the first. Yeah, place. magic math, I guess. I don't I, know. You know, 
when when it comes to hydro, how do you how do you bring it to heel when it comes to costs and expenses? Because you, you ask anybody in this province, whether it doesn't matter what their political stripe is, That's right. they're going to say hydro is is the issue. Yeah. Well, first of all, the Liberals made just a disastrous decision privatizing Hydro One. It makes no sense financially, and it actually is bad public policy as well. And I've written about it on a number of occasions, so I won't go into detail on that. But I think the Liberals' unfair hydro plan is the most expensive Band-Aid in Ontario's history, and we're going to pay big time for it, and I'm opposed to it, which I was really – I guess we don't know what the conservative platform is going to be, but I was really (laughs) surprised when the conservatives – embraced it like in the mm-hmm. in you know the previous platform they had a few months ago and you know what the it, i think it is so cynical for a government to say we're going to reduce your electricity bills by 25% before the election we know they're all we know they're going to go way up after the election and they're going to spend 40 to 90 billion dollars of our money to do it that's the most expensive election vote buying scheme i've ever seen that's 40 to 90 billion dollars that could go into healthcare and education, housing, transit, making university more affordable for people. Like it's just so irresponsible. And it doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is what I want to tackle right now. So first of all, the lowest cost solution is to help people save money by saving energy. So we need a green bu- and a green building program, which by the way was my number 2 list on the mm-hmm. climate change targets. Um, to help people retrofit their buildings, to help businesses invest in new energy-efficient equipment and help people save money by saving energy. That is the lowest-cost solution. Secondly, the Green Party is the only party with the courage to stand up to one of the most powerful lobbies in Ontario, and that's the nuclear lobby. We are going to say no to the nuclear industry, tripling your electricity prices over the next decade to finance um, the rebuilding of outdated, overpriced nuclear plants. And I realize we can't turn nuclear off right now, 60% of our electricity. We're not saying turn it off. We're saying no more money on a technology that's never delivered on time or on budget, especially when right next door we have low-cost water power from Quebec that we could purchase at a third of the price of rebuilt nuclear. So let's take advantage of that low-cost, clean, green power And then let's start taking it and not lock ourselves into outdated overpriced technology. And now as the price of renewable energy is starting to drop dramatically, matter of fact, the state of Colorado just did a power auction uh, where it wasn't for renewable energy. It was just for electricity. Mm -hmm. And they ended up signing the contracts uh, with wind and solar producers and storage providers because they came in cheaper. The bids came in cheaper than any other form of power, coal, nuclear, oil, gas, anything. So why is Ontario, we bought high for renewable energy. This is like typical liberals, bought high for renewable Mm -hmm. energy. And now that the price has dropped, they're getting out of renewable energy. I don't know of anybody who buys high and sells low, but I guess the liberals do that. Um, And then then they and the conservatives both want to double down on tripling your electricity bills by rebuilding outdated overpriced nuclear technology. I'm a small business owner. I would never invest in a technology that's never delivered on time or on budget when there are lower cost, Mm -hmm. cleaner options right next door. So let's do it. The clean options, though, don't seem to be as less expensive. Well, you know what? So right now you can buy Quebec water power for a third of the price of rebuilt nuclear. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. Yes, the liberals, you know, eight years ago uh, paid, overpaid for wind and solar. 
but those prices have dropped dramatically. So when you go to buy a, a new car, you know, you look at the price that you're going to pay with the new model, not the price you paid a few years ago. And so we have to make our decisions based on where the cost curves are going, not where they, where they used to be. Otherwise, we're going to end up getting locked into overpriced, expensive assets that are going to significantly hurt Ontario's economy and our finances. Why not just get out of hydro altogether? <laughs> well, we need electricity. Well, we do. But if we can get it for a third of the cost from Quebec, why bother having it here? Well, we should buy it for a third of the cost from Quebec. And then in Ontario, we should take advantage of the fact that um, we can, the, the fact that we have water power available in Quebec or in Ontario as well. And the fact that the price of wind, solar storage are dropping dramatically. So we can use that low cost Quebec water power as a transition strategy into uh, being able to purchase low-cost, made-in-Ontario solutions as well. That seems to be the issue, is the storage of electricity, isn't it? Absolutely. So the storage opportunities are increasing dramatically. I was just meeting with the Ontario Water Power Producers, and they estimate there's about 3,000 megawatts of storage potential just using water power alone in Ontario that we haven't even tapped into and, you know, anybody who's who knows anything about Ontario's history knows that, you know, the low cost electricity that powered Ontario's economy in the 20th century and generated the prosperity we've enjoyed is that low cost water power from from Niagara Falls. And so why don't we take advantage of the storage capacity? potential we have with water power moving forward. All right. Mike Schreiner is the head of the Green Party of Ontario, joining us on the Unpublished Cafe podcast. And we'll move on to health care, consistently one of the biggest issues facing the province. And you think uh, smart investments will help improve the system. What investments do you refer to? Yeah, you know, if we're going to provide people with better care at affordable prices, we need to start shifting our healthcare system towards preventing illness and promoting health instead of just treating illness. So the Liberals, Conservatives, and NDP, they just want to keep doubling down on the old way of doing things, which is treat illness, treat illness, treat illness, instead of actually investing in primary care, uh, fa- uh, community care, uh, nurse-led practitioner clinics, more holistic care in our communities to help prevent illness in the first place, to promote healthy lifestyles so fewer people get sick and clog up our emergency rooms. We also need to recognize we have an aging population, and we want to care for seniors in in their homes, in, in co-housing communities, in assisted living, in long-term care facilities, uh, in affordable housing units, um, because... That provides better care for seniors at a lower cost. And right now, the liberals are just warehousing a lot of seniors in hospital. That's not, that isn't where they mm-hmm. want to be, but because they can't get the care they need in the community because we haven't invested in that kind of care, they're stuck in hospital. It's a very high cost, and it's a, it's a lower quality of care for people. To me, that's going to be the biggest question for health care in the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, you know, Part of this is when I say taking on the status quo, and that is what the Green Party is doing. We are taking on the status quo, the vested interests that benefit and profit from the status quo. We're willing to take that on so we can transition. And taking on the healthcare status quo, I know is a tough job. <laughs> it is a tough job. But you know what? I've been to, I just recently toured a nurse practitioner led clinic in Cambridge, right near, near Guelph. What they're doing there is amazing, and, it, and they're providing high-quality health care 
at very affordable prices. And they're doing it in a way where, you know, if you come in, you, you, you're you not just there for one thing and then you have to leave and then come back two weeks for something else. And then maybe they send you off to another specialist you got to wait three months for because they have a wide range of healthcare providers in the clinic. They're able to take care of two, three, four, five things while you're there because, you know, that's how the human body works. So yeah. why is it our healthcare system focused on on the way the human body works and providing a full range of care for people? And, you know, the liberals said they were going to roll out a whole bunch of these nurse-led cl- clinics around the province. They haven't done it. Even though it is high-quality, low-cost care, I never hear about the NDP and conservatives talking about it. The battle always seems to be about hospitals, hospitals, hospitals. Yes, we need good hospitals. Yes, we need to invest in hospitals. But that problem is going to just get worse and worse and worse if we don't start investing in community care and primary care and helping people stay healthy. All right. Uh, Education. Uh, Ontarians have been hearing about how how weak their kids are in math, and the Greens are the only party talking about going to two school boards, one English and one French. How, how How would the Green Party proceed with something like that? Yeah, so we believe that education dollars should be prioritized in your kids' classrooms, supporting high-quality education for your kids, investing in their teachers, investing in the educational support workers they need, making sure there's high-quality mental health services, special education classes, uh, a full range of programming for for your kids to have a high quality of education. The current system prioritizes duplication of administration, buildings, busing, Way too much money is being wasted on those duplication of services instead of being invested in the classroom. So why not unify our school boards, bring them into French and English public school boards, and get rid of all that duplication and invest in your kids' classrooms to improve the quality of education? I think that'll benefit students and teachers in the public and the separate school systems and improve the quality of education for everyone. Okay, now how is it going to improve the uh, the, the quality for those in the separate, the separate board? Because more resources will be available in students' classrooms and to support teachers. You know, one of the things I've talked to, I've met with teachers both in the public and separate school system, and they say, you know, one of the things that's happening that a lot of parents don't realize is just increasing levels of violence in in schools, bullying, and some of that's even being directed at teachers to the point now where more and more classrooms are being locked down, more and more students aren't getting the services they need, and those teachers are saying, we have to start, whether you're in, in the separate or public school, we're saying, we have to start providing more resources. We have to start providing supports for those students, particularly those with mental health Uh, needs. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to stop spending money on duplicate administration and actually invest that money in your kids' classrooms. I think a lot of people think that when you go up this road, you were talking about duplicate administration. It wouldn't be like cutting one administration to take care of two boards because you've got so many students, teachers, the administration would not reduce by 50%, right? Oh, no, no. If, no. It, if it would be 50%, then you would be talking about seven, $8 billion a year in savings, and we're talking about $1.2 billion. And the other thing that we should be really clear on is any unification of the school system would still preserve all the jobs for the teachers. Like, we still need teachers. Mm-hmm. We still need, you know, um, uh, ECEs. We still need, um, you know, school counselors and 
more more support staff, all that we still need. It's just it's the duplication at the administrative level. And by the way, those are also the highest paid people too, right? So why don't we why don't we end that duplication and prioritize quality education for our kids? The sex ed curriculum was brought up again, obviously during the Ontario PC leadership race, mm-hmm. and obviously you know they've got a candidate running on just that. Uh, in terms of the Green Party, uh, I, as I recall, you did not have a problem with the curriculum before. Do you have a problem with it now? No, we don't. I think it's so important for uh, our children to have up-to-date, current, modernized education that's relevant to the world we live in today, not the world we lived in 20 years ago. And I guess if there's one party in this province that wants to take us back 20 years, I'm going to fight against that. Greens are going to fight against against that. Um, you know, I want our children to have the information and education they need to be safe. You know, I was listening to an Ottawa call-in radio show, actually, where a parent phoned in and said, you know, initially I was opposed to the new sex ed curriculum until my daughter um, learned about sexual misconduct in school and actually reported abuse that was happening towards her. And that wouldn't have happened without the new curriculum. And this parent said, I've completely changed my mind now. And so, you know, let's provide that kind of education and support for our children. Because, again, I think our children's education should come first. Well, Mike, I uh, wish you all the best on the campaign trail. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. And if I could just put in one last point here is that people are so tired of the status quo at Queen's Park. And you were never, we are never going to change the status quo if we keep voting for the three establishment parties. If you want something new, we have to vote for a new party with a new vision and a new way of doing politics. And that's what the Green Party is offering in this election. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about it. Mike Schreiner is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario, joining us on the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. Ontario goes to the polls on June 7th and will bring you interviews with each party leader before the vote so you can make an informed choice. Thanks for listening to the Unpublished Cafe podcast. I'm Ed Hand.